This is a, a wonderful day. We have baptism, a baptism at the, the second service, and we will commission this morning, I will commission, and I will ask your prayers as I do so, um, men and women, uh, several men and women who have stepped forward and answered the call that I have given uh, to learn how to be someone who can help another person learn to follow Jesus as a disciple. Um, we're calling it the 242 ministry, which is reference to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The early disciples, the first followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they learned from the Lord and those who had walked with the Lord how to help others learn to follow Jesus. So the 242 ministry, the several leaders will be commissioned this morning. But here again, we're back in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I see a very clear link between what's happening today with the baptism later and then with the commissioning today, both services, and Jesus saying, now for the sixth time, you have heard it said, but I say to you, but I say to you, when we baptize this, this, this morning, later at the second service, we will be praying that the one baptized becomes an absolutely faithful follower of Jesus. When we commission the 242 leaders, we are praying that they will be given God's gifts and grace to help others be faithful followers of Jesus. And Jesus is teaching the first disciples and us that if we would follow in the footsteps of our Lord, if we would be faithful to God Almighty who made us, created us for himself, we must listen to what he teaches and we must put aside what we have heard whenever what we have heard is contrary to what God's intention was in giving the word of God in the beginning. It's not an easy journey that we're on in the Sermon on the Mount. Last year, I was a, a dear friend of mine commended to me a new um, commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. It's in a series that's designed for preachers. And so what that means is, and I know this after a lifetime as one, that means somebody preached enough sermons on Matthew to put them all in a book. All right? and, and it's a different kind of, of, of commentary than a scholarly commentary, but often very, very helpful. And I've been making my way through it. And I was fascinated to see that he put in two chapters, which really means two sermons that he preached once upon a time, he puts in two chapters what I've now spent seven weeks trying to say. Now, either God Almighty uniquely has gifted that dear man, or he skirted over a lot of tough stuff. And I'm inclined to think the latter. But there's wisdom in what he had to say in those two, and I'm depending on him today in some ways. I want to acknowledge that Douglas O'Donnell has contributed to this sermon. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. I want to make a distinction and not preach about it today between our private behavior, 
and our social behavior. I want to make a distinction. I'm talking about our private lives and our personal lives. I'm not talking about the situation we face when evil is about to overcome us. What is our response in those moments? That's for another time. But today, what does Jesus mean when he's saying, you've heard it said, you shall hate your enemies. Now, like before, that is nowhere in God's word. It is not written in the law of Moses or the prophets that we should hate our enemies. So what has happened, again, we've seen this pattern before, is that a common understanding of what it means to be God's people has taken precedence over what God's Word actually says. And what it, what it conjures up for me is other teaching that Jesus has given us. And how easy it is for me to have ears but not hear. To have eyes but not see. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that all my life I've been hearing from time to time pieces and snippets and parts of the Sermon on the Mount. And I've listened and I've heard them. And some of that, some of what I've heard through the years, I've internalized. But you know, an enormous amount that I've internalized is not from the Word of God. Somebody said to me, this is how you tie your shoes. So that's how I tie my shoes. This is how you tie a tie. So that's how you tie a tie. You do a Windsor knot, not that other half thing. No half Windsors, full Windsors in my household, right? So I grew up doing many, many things, little things and church things. Things that were very mundane and how our household and our family lived and functioned and things that were related in my mind as I grew up to being a faithful follower of Christ. And that's what's going on. Jesus is trying consistently and repetitively to make clear to those first disciples what by the Spirit of God he is wanting to make clear to us. And that is, it's very, very easy to hear the Word of God and get it confused with the Word of man. To get it commingled. And we have got to let the Lord separate out of our understanding the things that we've heard that are contrary to what he wants. I want to ask you, since I just uh, have said, it's the, it's the sixth of the sermons following the first one where Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. And not one iota, not one jot, one tittle, not one little mark, not one bit of the Old Covenant, as we would say, or the Old Testament, as we would say, but as Jesus says, the law and the prophets, not one bit of it will pass away until all things are accomplished. We had a wonderful, soft-spoken, but wonderful sermon last week from my dear young brother, Charles Wilson, and he reminded us that, that when, when, when the Holy Spirit moves in us and we become followers of Jesus, Jesus begins to teach us 
and train us and open our understanding to the law and the prophets. We are, we are not being called to a new way of life. We are being called to understand the way of life God intends for his people. He intended it then and he intends it now. But it causes all of us disconcerting time because we've been taught other things. This last week I had the wonderful experience, which does not happen very often, of a parishioner actually talking to me about my sermon from a week before. Now I love that. I think it's happened most often in my life when there's been a criticism. But it's a wonderful thing when it happens. And this parishioner was struggling with Jesus saying, give to the one who begs from you. Give to the one who begs from you. And he was making a distinction that I suspect most of us make between panhandlers who we, who we, don't, who we don't help out. And what did Jesus mean by give to the man that begs from him. And his question was, am I disobeying Jesus? I told him, if he's disobeying Jesus, so am I. Because my experience has taught me that most of the time that I am confronted with a panhandler, I'm being confronted with a schemer. But I did confess to the dear brother that it's not easy. The Spirit of God must give us guidance time by time. Two examples that I can share with you. One, when I was in Uganda. Cynthia and I, some years ago, um, were in Uganda on a mission trip. And I was preaching um, for eight days at the cathedral in the cathedral city in Uganda, Kampala. And... Someday I'll tell the story of that. It's a good story. But one, one of the things that we observed in Kampala day after day as we would be walking in the midst of the city was that desperately deformed and desperately, de just uh, sadly, um, um, oh, I don't even know the right words to say. I'm seeing them in my spirit. But there were children begging on the streets of Kampala who were so abnormal physically that your heart was just broken for them. And as I reached in my pocket to try to get some Uganda shillings out, my, my host said, don't give to them. And what he told me, went on to tell me, is day by day, Wretched scoundrels drive these children into the heart of Kampala and force them to beg if they're going to eat. But they're not true beggars. They have been abandoned by their families and taken in by scoundrels who use them to get money for themselves and force them to beg so that when they're taken home at the end of the day, they'll get another night's sleep, they'll get another day's food. They're really not true beggars. But it was a heartbreaking moment for me, and I'll never forget it. When I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas, helping to train church planters from time to time, one of the realities there is that I'm in the part of town that's near one of the main 
centers for the homeless, where, where men and women who are homeless are able to stay each night, um, and where they can get a shower, and where they can get a meal, and yet they have to pass the next day. And some of them beg all day long, and they are begging for another drink, or another pill, or another shot. They're not begging because they have nowhere to go. They're not begging because they have nowhere to sleep. They're not begging because they have no one willing to take care of them or to help them or to guide them or to work with them, but because they don't want it and I don't give to them. I give to the men and women who offer help to them every day. I give to the to the ministries that seek to bring the good news to them and to help them find jobs and to help them bring their lives back under control. But if they're standing on the corner as I hit at the red light, I don't give to them. But I have to tell you that I have to do that knowing that it's just possible. It's possible that I'm refusing to give to someone who's begging from me. And so I have to make a decision in my heart and before God. I will give an account. I will give an account. Well, I want to ask you, and I ask myself, here on the sixth Sunday in which the gospel says, you've heard, but I, Jesus, say to you, are you any less angry at people that upset you than you were seven or eight weeks ago? just because you heard Jesus teach about anger? Are you any less lustful six, seven, eight weeks later after you heard Jesus speak about lust? Are you any less eager to demean or wound or hurt or walk away from the person to whom you're married because you heard Jesus teach about divorce? Are you any less honest or more honest because you heard him speak about oaths and letting your yes be yes and your no be no? Are you any less ready to retaliate to the scoundrels at your alma mater who threatened people who were going to exercise the right of free speech at a football game? with being arrested? It's very easy for us to hear what Jesus teaches and just carry on the way we've always lived because we are inwardly guided by what we've heard and what we've internalized. Today, the hardest of them all. We know we're supposed to love God. We know that, don't we? We know that he calls us to love him with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our strength. And we know we're supposed to love our neighbors and so we do love the people we like. You know, the easy ones, don't we? Don't we all love the easy ones? Yeah. It's those hard neighbors that are not so easy. But we know that we should be loving our neighbors and now Jesus says, oh, and by the way, you are to love your enemies. And every fiber of a natural man 
And every fiber of a natural woman reacts with a no. Because in our natural selves, this is not possible. And even seems wrong to many. But Jesus says, you've heard this, but I say to you. I want you to take from this sermon, if you can, just one word. The word is others. Jesus is telling us consistently that if we love God, we have to learn to love others. It's told that Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the last, well, two centuries ago now, a great preacher of the gospel, was one time in some public setting introduced, and, and, and the man that was introducing him said, now Dr. Spurgeon is going to bring us a word. And he got into the pulpit, and he said, others, and he sat down. The great, the great problem of religious people is not loving others. Where are you getting your news? Where are you getting your entertainment? Where are the ideas that are in your heart and mind coming from? What have you heard that you have internalized? What have you heard that you are now internalizing? Where is it coming from? When Jesus speaks, it's coming from God. In effect, though this phrase is not used by our Lord, in effect, Jesus is modeling that he is the Lord of the law. He is the Lord of the law of Moses and the prophets. He is the Lord of the word of God. And he alone, he alone can bring us understanding and training and guidance that our hearts and our minds and our wills will be changed to want not what we have heard, but what he says. And the more we know about what he says, the more we realize God has been saying it from the beginning. Not one iota, not one dot will pass away until all is accomplished. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I have come to help you understand the things concerning myself in the Word of God. I have come to open your minds to understand that you would hear the call of God to be like God. To be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The moment that pierces your heart, the moment that pierces your mind, 
the moment that begins to be understood, a great gap opens up between you and what Jesus is saying. It opens up for me. It opens up for all of you. And that's where the good news is. The good news is you can't be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, but you're called to it. And one has given his life that you may find it, that you may know it, that you may move toward it, that you may begin to live in it, that you may be one day caught up in it forever. The cross of Jesus Christ is the path by which we move to God. And there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. But we must die to our old selves that by the Spirit of God we may be raised to new life in Jesus Christ. To see the gap and to hear the good news is to begin the journey. I will learn to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I will learn to take your word and not the word of others. I will take your heart and not the heart that is broken. I will walk in your way by your grace, by your spirit. I will let you pick me up when I fall. I will not give up. I will persevere to the end. For I am yours and you are mine. That is the good news for those who are in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for teaching us what we are not to be like and for bringing us to understand that everything that we ought not to be like is in us. But even more, we thank you for teaching us what we are to become and for opening a pathway by which we can move from death to life. That as we trust in you and your gracious cross and die to our old selves, you will raise us to new life by the power of your resurrection and the gift of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be a people in this congregation who lay aside what we have heard and pray to walk in what you teach that we may be changed from the inside out. Even, Lord, to learn to love and pray for our enemies. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen.